We're going to do things a little bit differently. We're looking at a theme. We're not looking at one passage from the Bible. And we're looking at what it means for the, author- for the Bible to have authority. So what will happen is the important passages will go on the screen. I'll mention other Bible passages. Feel free to look them up if you like. But if you don't like Bible flicking, just keep an eye on the screen. Let me pray and we'll get started. Thanks, Father God, that you are a speaking God Just like anyone who loves, you like to chat with us, to talk to us, and you like it when we pray and talk back to you. And so we ask that you will, by your Holy Spirit, move in us and help us to know you better, and also by your Holy Spirit, motivate us to love you and live your way. Amen. We know that it's really important to be free. We ourselves want to be free. And it's good for us to help other people to be free. In a couple of days, we celebrate Anzac Day, when young men laid down their lives for the kinds of civic freedoms that we take for granted today. Nowadays, we believe in even more radical freedom. We want to be free to think whatever we want, to believe whatever we want, to act however we want, even to be whoever we jolly well feel like we want to be. And anyone who stops us, who tries to limit our freedom to do, think, say, and be whoever we want, is a bigot and a something-phobe, insert noun there, and we shall punish them. Now, this is why we can't accept the Bible and can't listen to the Bible anymore, because the Bible claims to be God's word. The Bible claims to be divine communication coming from God with the same authority as God himself. The same authority to command us, to command our obedience. The same authority to shape our lives. And that's why we have to reject it. It's an evil book. I mean, after all, the people who wrote that, that was 2,000 years ago. They didn't even have electricity back then let alone the internet and space travel and splitting the atom, nuclear power. Why should I believe anything from that? But more importantly, it's that claim to rule my life. No one rules my life except me. The Bible's an evil book if it claims to command me and tell me how to live. Isn't it? Welcome again to Epping Presbyterian Church. We're a church of the Protestant Reformation. 500 years ago, on the 31st of October, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses onto the cathedral door at Wittenberg in Germany. Now, that's the event that is officially recognized as starting the Protestant Reformation. But I tell you, that particular event of nailing the 95 Theses, it was the biggest flop ever. Because what the 95 Theses did, what Luther himself was trying, was to create like a forum. It was an invitation to have a theological discussion about these theses. Guess how many people turned up to the discussion? Anyone? One? Less? (laughs) Nobody turned up. No joke. Poor old Luther sat there on his own. Which, just by the way, if anyone here is doing ministry and you feel like you're not getting much response, let that encourage you. The way 
the Reformation actually started is that a publisher saw the 95 Theses on the door and he basically stole it, printed it, and started passing it around. It went viral, the equivalent of going viral, the equivalent back then, 500 years ago, okay? Now, one of the key tenets of the Protestant Reformation was a recovery of the authority of the Bible over and against every other authority at the time to talk about God. Now, at the time of the Protestant Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church had eclipsed the Bible with the authority of the Pope and the authority of church tradition. And that means the people did not have the wonderful wonderful freedom of trusting Jesus. They did not have the joy and freedom of full forgiveness in Jesus' death for them. They did not have the wonderful confidence of looking forward to living forever with God because Jesus had risen from the dead. Instead, the Pope and all this church tradition taught them they had to do good deeds in order to earn God's favor. Martin Luther himself, before he figured out the Bible and read the Bible and understood it himself, he went up some cathedral stairs on his knees praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again, not to purge his sins, to purge his grandfather's sins and try and pray and suffer his grandfather into heaven. There you go, guys. There's something for your grandchildren eventually when you get there to that appropriate age. When the Protestant Reformation happened, the Bible got put back in first authority to teach us about God and what it means to trust God. And so all the people who, who were part of the Reformation, and not just the ministers, the priests, the leaders, the ordinary congregations who benefited from Protestant biblical preaching, they enjoyed the wonderful freedom of forgiveness in Jesus and new life in Jesus. This freedom, this gospel, evangelical, biblical freedom is still available today. Just last weekend, we celebrated Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on Sunday. So can I ask you, friends, do you trust Jesus? Do you believe, like it says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us? For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Do you believe the famous John chapter 3, verse 16? God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who entrusts themselves to him will not die but have eternal life. Do you believe those words from the Bible? If you do, think about this. They only work. Your faith is only worthwhile if the Bible has the authority to make those promises on behalf of God himself. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. Why is it not just his opinion? Oh, you know, I kind of feel like Jesus took my curse. Well, that's nice. Why can we say, oh, it's God himself? It's the Apostle John. He's a nice guy. He's a sensitive guy. He kind of likes the idea of eternal life. Yeah, well, he needs to grow up and realize that this life is all that there is. We can only enjoy these gospel benefits, this freedom from the consequences of sin, 
if the Bible actually has authority to make those promises on behalf of God himself. Now, those, the, the challenge to the authority of the Bible 500 years ago was from the Roman institutional church. Nowadays, the Roman Catholic Church isn't the biggest danger to the authority of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church is actually kind of tragic and pathetic and useless these days. The challenge comes from the kind of opposite side of the spectrum. Nowadays, people really genuinely think that living in ways the Bible says is evil is real freedom. And people really genuinely think that what the Bible says about good, healthy, wholesome life is evil. Let me give you an example. Sexual immorality. I mean, look, it's just everywhere these days, isn't it? MTV. YouTube. We can't even block it on our children's mobile devices. And, and I'm, I'm sure all of us know people, perhaps probably even in our families, where someone hasn't bothered to get married, they just move in, and then they move out and move in with someone else, and move out and move in with someone else of the opposite gender, or maybe even of the same gender. And perhaps some of us have people in our extended family where you got like stepchildren and stuff, and half-brothers, half-sisters. The results of this serial monogamy, moving in, moving out. What about selfish ambition? Come on, you deserve a promotion at work, don't you? You deserve a pay rise. You deserve a better house, a better car. You worked hard for that, don't you? What about envy? Um, does anyone here work in the marketing industry, advertising industry? Good, I can insult them. Uh, the whole advertising industry is based on greed and envy. Isn't it? Think about it. You, you need a bigger house. You don't just want a bigger house. It is essential to your well-being. You need this new holiday. You deserve the holiday. You've been working so hard. You need a better spouse. And so go on the infidelity website, Ashley Martin. Envy, greed, and drunkenness. Do you know the one monument to Australia in the University of Oxford? It's to uh, former Prime Minister Bob Hawke drinking his weight in beer or something like that. Australia is known internationally as a nation of drunkards. Now, all of these, are what, I've given these examples from what the Apostle Paul calls the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians chapter 5. Sometime, if you want to look it up, Galatians 5.21. You can look it up now if you really want, but it doesn't matter. Uh, fruit of the flesh might be a more literal translation. And the apostle says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, many of us will be more familiar with what Paul says we should pursue. Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But people don't think that living in this way, the fruit of the Spirit is really actually good. Kindness is weak. Don't bother being kind. Be strong. 
Assert yourself. That's the way to get ahead these days. And don't bother being faithful. Faithfulness is slavery. Look, you only stick with whatever or whoever, okay, as long as it works for you. So as long as the job is feeding your ego and giving you enough money, then stick with it. If it's not, then you deserve better. It's time to move on. As long as the person you share your bed with is giving you what you want, then they deserve you. If they're not, then it's time to move on. You deserve it. And self-control, come on, please. Self-indulgence is where it's at. Eat, drink, make sure you work, work it off, okay? So having eaten too much, then go to the gym. But eat and drink and enjoy. Take that holiday, wear the latest fashions, get the latest gadgets. Again, you deserve it. The challenge to the Bible's authority is not sort of religious institutions anymore. Now, the challenge to the Bible's authority is that people really genuinely believe that what the Bible says is wicked is good. And what the Bible says is good is evil. So I want to show you the true freedom that comes by being controlled by the Holy Spirit speaking in the Bible. That's, what I, that's the theme for today's talk. The Holy Spirit makes us more truly ourselves. The more completely we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, the more completely our real me we become. Kamal is more really Kamal the more he is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because the more the Holy Spirit controls Kamal, the more Kamal becomes the kind of Kamal that God wants Kamal to be. Not just Kamal wants Kamal to be. Or Kamal's mom, or dad, or friends, or or church, or anyone else. And I'm going to show you that this freedom, this fulfillment, how it actually comes from an understanding of the Bible's authority. All right? So, basically, my three points are the Bible is a product of the Holy Spirit through human beings, and therefore it has God's character and authority, okay? It'll come up on the slides. You'll see as we go. So, the Bible really is a product of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, one of the Bible passages for today, it says all scripture is God-breathed. The Greek word that is translated God-breathed, it's a funny word. Theopneustos. Theos meaning God. Pneuma meaning spirit. And so the the proper way to say it is that the Bible is breathed out, God breathed, by God himself. It It is produced by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter gives us a a better explanation or a, a more extensive explanation when he says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The people who wrote the Bible were directed and motivated by the Holy Spirit. So what we have written here, it is their words. The Apostle Paul, the prophet Isaiah, the Apostle John, it really is their words. But it's the words of the Holy Spirit as well, not just human words. Now as we think about this, we should not think that somehow the authors of the Bible were out of control of themselves as they wrote the Bible. So don't imagine Isaiah sitting there and all of a sudden his hand like starts writing on a scroll and he goes, oh my goodness, look at that. It's all doing it by itself. Must be God. Okay, that's not what happened. The authors, the the Holy Spirit 
directed the authors to speak in ways that fulfilled their personality and fulfilled the particular situation that they were in. Okay? And this is why the Bible itself can say that it's through human authors. So when the Bible quotes the Bible, well, I'll give you the example. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer to the Hebrews says, the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's Psalm 95 he's quoting. But look, this guy, this author to the the Hebrews, he's a big fool. Because look at chapter 4, whoops. Therefore God said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David as it was said before, today if you hear his voice. Hey, that's the same reference. It's Psalm 95 again. Who wrote it? God, the Holy Spirit, or David? Come on, man, tell us. You get the idea, right? God wrote this by his Holy Spirit through the the prophet um, David, through King David. And so it's true that King David really genuinely wanted to warn the people of God, if if and when you hear God speaking today through his law, through the repetition of God's commands on the holy days, the festival days, when you hear the command of God, listen and obey, don't rebel like your forefathers did in in the desert. David really genuinely wanted to write that because he meant it and he wanted his people to hear it. The Holy Spirit of God wanted the people of God to hear that. He wanted the people of God to respond to his voice so that they could be blessed and loved and remain the promised land and so on. This is why the different books of the Bible have different styles, styles that agree with the individual identities of the authors of the Bible. So we've just finished the Gospel of Mark in uh, sermons and growth groups and so on. Mark is an action gospel, excellent for movie. Jesus goes and boots demons out of people and people, and then he goes and heals people, and then he goes and fights with the religious authorities. It's awesome. Gospel of John It's much more theological, Jesus. He gives long speeches using metaphorical language like light and dark and talking of himself as a shepherd and so on. Which is the real Jesus? Action Jesus or theology meditative Jesus? Both. The different authors wrote according to their own personality and also according to, you know, what the summary that they wanted to give to their... uh, to, to, to their audience and so on and so on. Mark, maybe he was an action kind of guy, a bit of a Vin Diesel. And John, maybe he was a bit of a, you know, a sensitive, gentle kind of guy. Someone who loved to reflect and meditate deeply, a bit of a scholar perhaps. We don't know, okay? I'm just making this up, but the point stands. And also, this is why when we read the Bible, we need to pay attention to its historical locatedness because God inspired the particular Christians, the the, the particular authors, to speak about issues that were relevant at the time. So in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks a lot about Egypt, Babylon, and Assyria because they were the big nations and imperial powers of the time. And when Paul wrote... 
his letter to the Galatians, which we will be looking at in term four, the whole letter is basically written to beg the Galatian Christians, don't get circumcised. Any of you gentlemen been like forcibly circumcised or people encouraging you to actually don't answer that. That'd be really awkward if you. Um, circumcision and the Jewish law, it's just not relevant nowadays. It's not something that we face. But back then, that was the significant issue. Because the Bible was inspired to individual, individuals and it fulfilled their identity, Mark became really fully Mark as God inspired him to write down the message about Jesus. Paul became even more, and uh, Paul became the Paul that God wanted Paul to be as he wrote down his letter to the Galatians, begging them not to have to, not to feel they have to obey the Old Testament law. And just like that, we, as we read these scriptures, God still speaks to us in ways that are relevant to our particular identity and our self and our particular historical situation. We do need to use our brains. God fills all of us. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to fill us and when he comes to fulfill our identity, that includes our intellect. And so we need to think deeply. How do the underlying principles... Because Paul just didn't write Galatians and say, hey, you foolish Galatians, don't get circumcised. Love, Paul. He says a lot more, six chapters worth. And so as we're reading, we think thoughtfully. So what what does it look like for us today? Okay, Um, What are the legalistic tendencies that I've got because of my particular situation, because of my tendencies, my history, the way I brought up, the way that I've sort of inherited religion and stuff? Um, where, where Where are we as a church in danger of being legalistic. Look forward to term four. More of the book of Galatians. We need to use our brains. We need to pray. As we come to the Bible, we don't come to it just like an intellectual activity. We have the Holy Spirit in us and within us, and we ask the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who breathed out these words, speak within us through your scriptures. Motive teach us, and then motivate us to obey what the Bible says. We need to use our brains, we need to pray, and we need each other. Growth groups are so useful, are so important. Not just, we're not just studies. We are Bible studies, but we're not just studies. We are seeking to hear the Holy Spirit speaking in and through Scripture and encourage each other to walk worthy of that Spirit. The Bible is a product of God's Holy Spirit. What this book says, God by his Holy Spirit says. The Bible is a product of the Holy Spirit through humans in particular situations. And so it's relevant to us here and now. Let me give you some examples of that relevance as we talk about how the Bible shares God's character and authority. And I'm going to do this by showing you some mistakes in Psalm 119. So in Psalm 119, verse 89, what's wrong with this? Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. What's wrong with that? What's the only being in the universe that we should actually think of being eternal from the beginning to the end? It's God himself, isn't it? 
Nothing else is eternal. This ain't eternal. It's only a book. I mean, if I keep throwing it around as a sermon prop, it'll fall to pieces and we'll have to throw it in the recycling. How can this be eternal? The message that God speaks in and through his Bible is God's eternal plans and purposes in Christ Jesus. The actual pages and the cardboard binding is not eternal. But the psalmist can say, your word is eternal, meaning that as we read the Bible and understand God's plans for eternity, we actually share, the, the Bible comes with that authority and that power to communicate with us God's eternal purposes. Folks, where do you go for advice? Oh, you know, I really need to work on my parenting now the kids are growing up and becoming high school kids. Oh, I need to get some work on my anger management. All right, I'll, I'll go and look up the internet on parenting. I'll look for one of those help forums on the internet or something. All of that is useful, but how about meditating on the Bible, what the Bible says about being a parent? Maybe the book of Proverbs. The whole book of Proverbs is a father teaching his son about how to live well in a world full of temptation. And yes, it's father-son, but you can still apply the principle to a mother and daughter. Father teaching daughter, mother teaching son, the principles are the same. Why do we run to the secular solutions first? Why do we, and be careful even of the so-called Christian books in Kurong and other Christian places, okay? You need to use your brain and see if those books are actually trying to explain what the Bible says or whether they're just a secular therapy book with a few out-of-context Bible verses pasted in. Frankly, it's not worth the effort. Why are you bothering to flip through and then check the Bible? Just read the Bible. God's Word communicates His eternal purposes. As we seek to learn his eternal purposes and address our questions and our needs according to God's plans in Jesus, we'll realize that often even our questions are wrong because we approach things in such a self-centered way. So there's the first way the Bible shares God's character and authority, shares his eternality. How about this one? You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Same thing in verse 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. What's the mistake there? Shouldn't it be I have put my hope in you? The object of the verse changes in an unexpected way. For those of you who are grammarians, I hope I've got my grammar right there. Because God is my refuge, so I'm putting my trust, my hope in your word. What? Shouldn't you be putting your trust in God? The Bible. Because God is faithful to his promises in the Bible, putting our trust in the promises made of scripture, promises made by scripture, is basically the same as putting our trust in God himself. And so when God says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Guess what? The Bible says it. God means it. And so we can put our hope, our trust, our faith in the Bible. Because as we do so, we are trusting the biblical God, the God of the Bible. Actually, in principle, this is no different from any honest person who honors his contracts, his promises. 
So some people, you know how some people, they say, yeah, yeah, I'll be there, see you at 8 o'clock. And we just go, nah, they'll be there at 10 past 8 or half past 8. They're always late. Whereas other people, oh, yeah, yep, I'll, I'll be around for dinner at 8 o'clock. You know that you need to have everything set up because they'll walk in at like 8, and 8 p.m. and one second because they're so precise. God makes his promises and keeps his promises, especially his written promises. And finally, here's one which is blasphemous. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. He's worshipping the Bible. That's idolatry. We should chop that verse out of the Bible, shouldn't we? Our attitude to the Bible is our attitude to God. We don't literally bow down and worship the Bible, okay? But if we, we read the Bible, we hear what it says, and we say, right, I'm going to do it. That is our attitude to God, and God rejoices. We read it, and we go, as if, well, that, you've just insulted God. Ah, I'm not insulted God, it's the Bible. I'm sorry. What the Bible says, God says. So if we worship God, then we revere his word, not by sort of putting it in some holy place and lighting incense in front of it. That's stupid. By reading it, wearing out its pages, reading it, and doing what it says. Again, this kind of works with ordinary human communication. Suppose you send an email, uh, you send a text message to one of your family, one of the kids, your spouse. Hey, on the way home, can you get some milk? And they read the text message, go, ha, ha, no, and delete it. And then they come home and you say, where's the milk? And they're like, oh, I, I deleted it. Why'd you do that? Well, I'm not being rude to you. It's only a text message. It's not you. What's your problem? Stop being so angry. You really need to go to anger management classes. What? D by ignoring your text message, they have ignored you. They've been rude to you. By deleting that text message, they've deleted you from their life. And it just doesn't cut it to say, oh, I'm not being rude to you. I'm only being rude to a phone. What? No, you're not. You're being rude to me. It's the same with God. If we love his word and seek to obey it, we are loving and obeying God. If we're mocking his word, ignoring his word, then we're ignoring God. This is why the author to the Hebrews can say, check out these verses. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in, in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Who's doing the judging? God or his word? Both. Same point. The Bible is sharing God's judgment, his righteousness. This is what it means for us to really submit, honor, enjoy the authority of the Bible today. Freedom is essential. We need to be free. God agrees. That's why he gave us the Bible. Because in the scriptures... We find God, by his Holy Spirit, liberating people from the effects of sin so that we can be free to live for God. True freedom comes by being shaped by the Bible. True freedom 
comes in listening to and being convinced and delighting in the authority of the Bible as God's word. Because as we read the Bible and find out about Jesus, it inflames our love for him. It convicts us of where we're not living for him. It teaches us how to live more and more for Jesus and shapes us to be the kind of people that live for him and bring others to live for him also. What do you... The, you know, the Bible tells us, so what? For the Bible tells me, well, it's actually, that's the second line. Anyone know what the first line of the little song is? Jesus loves us. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you've given us your Bible, your scriptures, so that we can know you. We admit that we tend to look to lots of other authorities. We tend to talk about our own experience. We look on the internet. We look at secular sources. We look for experts. We look to science. We rarely come to your scriptures first and prayerfully ask, what does it mean for us to be the kinds of people who respond the way Jesus would have us respond? So we ask that you will convince us that what your Bible really says is true and good, that you mean for us to live well. Give to us the intellectual insight so that we understand your Bible truthfully, and then by the same Holy Spirit that inspired these pages, motivate us to live for you, shaped by these holy words as they shape us to be more and more like Jesus. We ask this for the honor of his name and the growth of his kingdom. Amen.